little shunk. Hey. That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> he said it. We got him. That's it, everybody. <laughs>
you know, uncles, siblings, you know, I'm the youngest of six. So, you know, oh, always, wow. always had it around, um, at all family occasions, et cetera. Um, but purely as, you know, drinkers, you know, no one was ever in the whiskey business or in the spirits industry. Mm. Um, but then we got, you know, when I, as a kid, I always used to really enjoy looking at the bottles at the back of the bottle mm. and you know, seeing the origin. Remember a lot of these bottles used to have like the master distiller would sign off and put a little note on it. And it was always just, again, a curiosity. And then yeah. to kind of summarize a year of, you know, research and getting into it, we kind of, you know, I kind of start to take a dabble as, you know, what is this industry all about? How, how does it work? You know, how do you get from, you know, cause I, I knew there was independent bottlers. I knew there was distilleries, you know, kind of understanding that process, understanding, you know, how casks, you know, beyond are just made, but how they enter into the market and mm-hmm. starting some research and semi convinced, you know, me and my family, like, you know, let's go and see what this is all about and see if we can get involved. And in 2019, we bought our first cask of uh, actually a 30 year old single grain scotch nice. um, and then that morphed we you know bought some more then we eventually built the brand and you know i think we hit market in 2020 right right after covid uh look at the lot yeah a bad time but somehow the alcohol industry people were buying you know more than ever so was, <laughs> somehow <laughs> hey people, yeah, people exactly. needed something to do but uh, you've got your brother Ben, right? Is that right? Yes, we're we're a family business. So I have, you know, my brother Ben, who has been with us for quite a while. He runs our sales. I have my other brother Judah, who actually recently came on board. He's also involved in sales on the West Coast. Um, and you know, even though not you know not everyone in my family has an individual role, everyone is you know involved. You know, this is a uh, this is a dinner table co- conversation, but you know, potentially even too much of the time. But uh, you know, for example, yes. one of our bottles has uh, a leather thing that holds the neck hanger. You know, my mom's one that actually makes those, you know, which oh, is, cool. uh, and, you know, random stuff, you know. So, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're family running, you know, which is great. You know, we, we all work together. Getting yeah. a little ahead of myself, but uh, I saw it on the signature collection. They come in a, in a, a wooden barrel. Do, do you guys hand make those or are those sourced somewhere? No, those are sourced. Okay, <laughs> they do yeah, look very, very cool. Those, yeah. well, part of the reason why we hand make them is not, it's just a matter of because we're such small volume, right? If we have mm-hmm. a bottle of like 250 bottles, were we getting someone to tie these leather things together? Just it's, totally. not, it's not practical. It's not even, you know, so that's, it's the easiest way to do it is just to do it ourselves. You know, I, and I wish I could do more, you know, more in-house, you know, if we can, bottle it ourselves we would do that also we just yeah yeah <laughs> so you, i got like a oh go ahead <laughs> you well just uh you since you mentioned earlier about you know when you were young and you'd read the bottles and everything i i saw on the press release uh that we got from amy uh that press release said something about um watching your family members toast milestones uh and being a big whiskey family and everything and i was just curious uh does your family have any favorites like if your family was toasting a milestone is there like a big staple whiskey brand with your family or anything like that well the problem is now they get a certain brand you know at a pretty good deal so Mm -hmm. uh you know um i remember as a kid you know you know, my father's, uh, you know, preferences is what I remember, you know, and it, it's cool to see how, how his palate, which I will say today is, you know, he has a great palate, but it, it's evolved. You know, he started off mm-hmm. with the stuff and the smokier stuff. You know, he, I remember, you know, a tal- an old Talisker that was, you know, one of his favorites. Nice. Um, a lot of times brought home the, I think it's a total wine brand, uh, Battle Hill. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with it, but I, you know, random stuff. Again, you know, I started this young, so 
when I'm thinking about, you know, the past, this maybe when I was, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, you know, what, what was on, on the table. Um, but now it's really going over, you know, we're proud of our stuff. And, you know, when you actually, when it's your baby, when, when everyone in the family is involved and, you know, the brand, we're obviously going to prefer the stuff that we put out purely because we, you know, when you put your blood, sweat and tears into it, you know, it, it just tastes different, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of, uh, it's when you, when you have a whiskey at a distillery, right. You go to any given distillery in Kentucky or Scotland, it always mm. tastes much better at the distillery. You ever notice that? Yeah. It tastes That's a lot true. better. Right. But imagine now even we're involved in making that whiskey and putting that together. It's, it's even mm -hmm. it's worlds above that, you know, a bottling can take, you know, six months a year to put together, you know, depends on, you know, variety of factors. So it's actually after putting all the work, all the back and forth, all the going, you know, the attention to detail that you have to put in, even though no one notices every word that goes in the bottle or on the box or the packaging, the, you know, we put a lot of effort into that. And there's a, honestly probably too much back and forth and too many cooks in the kitchen on that. <laughs> actually see it and be able to, to enjoy it. That is really, you know, so it, it's hard to really look at other brands and other whiskeys. Um, just, you know, today to say, you know, you know what I go for me personally, um, I've definitely been going, getting more involved in bourbon, um, mm -hmm. as a recent American single malt. Um, we are, we do have a project or actually work on Kentucky, which we can talk about later, but that's, nice. uh, you know, so that, that, that's definitely where, you know, I've been in, we'll call that, you know, research and development, mm -hmm. um, nice. but, uh, you know, it depends on the day. I, I love trying new whiskeys and that's, that's what's, you know, I, I don't usually go back to whiskeys that I enjoyed in the past. I like trying something I never had before. Yeah. yeah. No, and in getting started young, if you don't mind saying, how old are you now? I'm 24. 24. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's so oh, funny. Man. No, that's great, man. I mean, like, it's cool to see that, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, technically, when you start in 2019, so were you pre 21 at that point of the company? Pre 21. Keep in mind, oh, Scotland's 18. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Of course. Mm -hmm. I, I remember on one of my earlier trips coming back from Scotland to the U.S. And mm -hmm. the cust you know, the U.S. Uh, passport control. He was asking me, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing in Scotland? I said, I was here for work. And they said, you know, they, what do you do for work? I said, I'm in, you know, in, you know, I, whiskey barrels, you know, uh, independent mm -hmm. bottle, et cetera. So he's like, but you're, you're underage. He's like, so you, what, you're, you're just training the wood, like the actual like, wooden barrels. I said, no, no, no. It's first of all, it's 18 there. And, you know, at, you know, it's also a company. Yeah. yeah. Speaking, you know, so that was that, but he was, couldn't really wrap his head around, you know, how someone under 21 could be involved in it. It sounded you know, a bit shady. <laughs> Let alone be the founder. Yeah. <laughs> Narrow-minded Americans. <laughs> so, exactly. so, you know, I feel like a lot of people that can enjoy whiskey would even think about that, would even think about, you know what, maybe I could just get my own barrels. Um, and especially in a place like Scotland, like where, where I feel like, um, you know, there's so many blenders in Scotland, for example, that like, I, it doesn't seem to me like there's certain companies in the U S that would never give their barrels away. Uh, like they would only bottle under their own name. Uh, but it seems to me like when you look up like, like the, the, the cask bills basically of, uh, or like the, the bottling bills of, uh, blended scotch, like even what I saw on your website, it's like, I saw some Glenn Grant in there. I saw some Ardmore in there. Uh, I saw some, you know, other big names. Um, but you know, I feel like a lot of people could think like, why don't I just get my own barrels and, and, you know, like sell my own barrels. Um, but I, I mean, to me, it would be like, that's, that's probably a 
decent investment. Did you feel like it was like a huge investment at first, like money wise even? Uh, or was it like worth it to just sell a little bit at a time? Or was there just a lot of capital to start with? Or so how did that look? The, and going into it, you know, we didn't have an actual plan. You know, we mm-hmm. got it, you know, we want to buy some barrels, you know. And yes, I listened to the investment purely buying, you know, buying some barrels, treated as a commodity or, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as an equity. And, you know, hold on to it and sell it. You know, I did some research on the appreciation, et cetera. The big issue, mm-hmm. whiskey cask investment or whiskey barrel investment today is at its peak, I would say there's a tremendous yeah, yeah. amount of money going into it. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't want to speak for the entire space because, you know, we're not doing that, but the concern that we had, the, re- the primary, not the primary, one of the reasons we went into bottling is, you know, how, you know, how, what's our exit? The only exit of, if you buy, own a barrel as a whiskey investment, the only exit that there is, is to sell to someone that's going to bottle. Right. Yeah. And obviously given the three tiers, to make it simple, if you have a hundred, if a brand is selling a bottle for a hundred bucks, it's going to end up on the shelf for two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And if I'm selling to that brand that's selling for a hundred, you know they need to buy it for fifty. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of people that you know have to make money along the way, and as a result, you know the prices of what whiskey casks are today is through the roof. And it doesn't, you know, at some point someone down the line has to bottle that. I mean, yes, you have some private individuals that just want to have two hundred fifty bottles of some crazy whiskey that does happen mm-hmm. but that majority doesn't and it has to get bottled somehow either the distillery bottle it back or an independent bottler will go and purchase those barrels and bottle it um, but there's definitely a, a, a big disconnect today especially with pricing on the wholesale market we've slowed down our purchasing tremendously over the past two years mm-hmm. i see barrels today and casks today not on the american side but on the scotch side where the it, the cost per bottle is equivalent to what the, that bottle a 25 year old Ardmore would retail for. That's how oh, great the market is. And you're buying that wow. you're buying a wholesale cask. And again, not say that all casks are like that, but I've seen that. You know, so mm-hmm. there's definitely there's a lot of trading amongst whiskey investors, and it does smell like a bubble, although nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at like the even the American sourcing market and stuff, and it's just like, yeah, all these companies that are either starting off or just intend to. Uh, get their own barrels is um, is definitely blowing up and uh, makes sense to me. Um, no, that's crazy. And so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, no, that's kind of cool to see um, how that worked. Um, yeah, one, one last about, question before, ahead, we, before mm-hmm. we get into more um, uh, what the company is and everything. Um, another thing I saw was, you know, you're traveling all around Scotland to do this. And just just out of curiosity for you on a, a personal question, uh, are there any regions you particularly enjoy in Scotland? Yeah. Are there any particular stories of, um, of your travels around Scotland and finding barrels and anything that you want to share? Region-wise, there are it's like in America, we have the Northwest, we have the Northeast, you know, we have to, but it just, it's, it's a, we're in a big country. It's a very small country. There's the regions, as much as they try to, you know, Scotland and the whiskey industry tries to market as, you know, crazy variation. There's not much difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say one of my favorite regions is the Highlands purely because that was the first trip I ever made, you know, got mm-hmm. off the plane, went straight to the Invergordon Distillery of all places. We owned nice. it. We, we bought it in Board Gordon Cast to actually see it. So that, that definitely has a, you know, and we drove, you know, it's maybe a three hour drive from Edinburgh Airport. So that mm. was, it's, it definitely gets, you know, the, the mountains and the, you know, the rolling, you know, green uh, hills. It, it definitely is beautiful. Uh, yeah, so in cool. terms of specific stories, 
I do remember on one of my earlier trips going to a warehouse that had some very, 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 very high end whiskey um, in terms of casks, some mm-hmm. really expensive stuff, you know, in the casks that were valued at, you know, over six figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember their bottling process was they took, they, they did the most basic gravity, gravity uh, bottling. They took the barrel, they put it up on a ladder effectively. They took a tube and that was mm-hmm. how they took the barrel and bottled it. And I was just in shock. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, you know, you would think, you know, all these high end barrels, they must be like in some, you know, really high tech facility or, or you know, but that's, <laughs> that was the case. And honestly, that's not what the industry is. And that's, it's a good thing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, it's a very, it's so very they like good. basically like siphoned it out. <laughs> Precisely. And it was just crazy. But uh, in terms of uh, other stories, I don't know. It's there's a lot of stories, but nothing that really comes to mind that, you know, would be a great share. No, that's all good. good. (laughs) One question I do have is, okay, so who's the final say in the selection of a barrel? Is that you? Which part of it? Uh, For example, like you're at a distillery, they're offering you a few options of, of barrels to grab. And you're like, all right, I tasted all these. And this is the one I want. Are you kind of the final say there? So just tap into one thing. We mm-hmm. rarely buy from distilleries directly. Oh, Most cool. distilleries today don't sell out barrels. The majority oh, of barrels cool. on the market today, um, one of the common ways, again, there's various ways how they enter the secondary market. One mm-hmm. of the common ways is, you know, older, you know, distilleries were most of them were independent at some point. They all sold off mm-hmm. to the conglomerates, the Diageos, yep. the, you know, Etc. But a lot of them retained a large portfolio of barrels, which they held on to, and which they'll, you know, sell off. Um, sometimes, you know, different brands have relationships that they'll buy large parcels of barrels from other distilleries, and they'll sell off smaller parcels. There's various ways that it does go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most of the traveling around trying to find barrels. You know, I in the beginning, I, I called up some of the biggest distilleries, and I kid you not, they hung up on me. Oh wow! <laughs> and and Scotland even more than you know. The U.S. market is known for the, you know distilleries today. Again, forty percent of them are I don't know what the number is, but a huge percentage are Diageo, and you know there's Louis, very Louis. very few independent guys <laughs> left. And a multi-billion-dollar company doesn't really care to sell off a few barrels. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not in their uh, business plan. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of traveling, though. There is you know there's always about trying to find that one rounded person that has a barrel somewhere, or you know that bought a barrel twenty years ago. And, you know there definitely is a lot of that. Um, there's also really just trying to understand what the distilleries are producing, what they have produced to, mm-hmm. you know, if I know I, uh, you know, I want to get a spring wing 20 year old, right. Or, yeah. or uh, any given distillery, like a specific thing, you know, you have to understand, you have to know what they're producing, mm-hmm. um, you know, or what that's going to taste like and then try to find it. And, you know, that, so that's what going around definitely is a lot more often. And there are some smaller distilleries that we do have relationships with um, that we haven't actually released yet, but, you know, there, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So, so do you not get to try some of them before you buy them? We actually, unlike most, I don't know that there's other companies in the industry. We have not bought a single barrel without sampling it first. Okay, cool. And back to your actual question of who has the final say. So we've been working mm-hmm. for a long time with the blender um, who was uh, Jim Murray, um, mm-hmm. obviously yeah. as well. And we, when I found different barrels, we, our policy was we don't buy a barrel or a cask before we sample, we have to mm-hmm. sample. Um, and we've lost a lot of barrels just get sold quicker. Or I believe it. They don't, they don't want to give off samples, et cetera. Um, he, we sent it to him first um, nice. to go ahead and give us, you know, some sort of 
review his general take and, you know, et cetera. And then it'll come on to, you know, my plate to make the decision from a business perspective, from a brand perspective, which direction we want to go in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the process. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty so cool, in, actually. In general, aside from the smaller distilleries that you might have a relationship with, is most of your barrel acquisition on a secondary market? Yes. That's gotcha. Funny. So, um, and this is, I guess, kind of the same question, but um, asked a different way. Uh, when you do go to seek out a barrel that you're interested in, when when it is time to buy a barrel, uh, what is that process like for you? Uh, do you pick up a phone? Do you go online somewhere? <laughs> like, how, how does it start? Question. How does the yeah. selection process happen? And how do you ultimately end up with that barrel? So what drew me to this industry in the beginning, and I picked up on it right away is that it's unlike most industries today, it's very much not internet based. Obviously mm -hmm. they're emailing, but it's relationship based. So you have to develop a network of people in the industry, suppliers, uh, brokers, et cetera. Um, and a lot of them, you know, there's some bad characters out there. There's some people that are again, more geared towards the whiskey investors and, um, but really building up that network. And there's two ways, either I get sent, you know, as old fashioned as a literally you know, a text or a Excel spreadsheet over email, you know, here's what we got, here's what it's going for. And, you know, I'll run mm -hmm. the numbers, and, you know, something seems doable for us on a variety of factors, you know, I'll, I'll inquire about a sample or the other way around, you know, for example, on this, now that we're blending, um, you know, we're, we've been trying to source a lot more of, you know, older grain whiskeys. Um, and that's more of a process of just calling everyone, you know, or, you know, I, I prefer phone mm -hmm. calls, although most people don't. You'll prefer you know, mm -hmm. I, I prefer just you know me call you and see what you have. No, that's super cool. So um, now that we're building, no, uh, was that in reference to this Oron now that that just came out that we're yes going to try that's today? Cool. But which, by the way, <laughs> to introduce yeah. what we're drinking today. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Carl introduce what we're drinking today. So um, tell us about mm -hmm. Oron. Tell us about the two batches. Beautiful. So we start off as independent bottlers effectively just bottling single cast scotch. We morphed off mm. with some uh, technically American whiskey, but it really is just bourbon matured in Scotland. Um, mm -hmm. And then we decided to take the leap into blending. Um, there are, blending obviously has a bit of a reputation for being the, you know, just a cheaper variation of, of whiskey. Um, mm. And for good, for good reason, most blends out there are just a volume product. Mm. Um, but we decided to partner with our, you know, Jim Murray, who, you know, obviously he's the author of the whiskey Bible and he's, um, you know, he, exactly. He's well yeah. known, but, uh, you know, we've had a good relationship for years now. And the one thing that people, you know, most people don't know is that he's been also doing blending for other distilleries and mm. other, uh, brands for a very long time, never public facing though, always behind the scenes. Mm. So we decide, you know, we've, you know, we've, always been, a, we've always been very careful as the quality of the whiskey that we put out, which is why we had our sampling process. You know, I'm proud mm -hmm. to say we've never released a bad barrel. You may not love all of our whiskey because again, mm -hmm. it's subjective, but we've, we've only released so far pretty darn good stuff. And again, obviously I'm slightly biased. Mm -hmm. um, is we, we decided to partner with him. Um, and the agreement simply was, we're not going to get involved at all in the blending process. We're going to leave, nice. give you full control. Here's what you, here's, here's our portfolio. Here's what we have. Um, this is totally your vision. You have full artistic power to do, you know, and, and you know, you know, final say, and that's what we did. Um, obviously we're hand in hand, you know, we needed, you know, we, 
when he has a vision for a blend and he's missing a certain piece to it, it's kind of hard to figure out what he's missing. And I mean, he knows, but it's, you know, expressing it's mm -hmm. finding that specific component, whether it's, yeah. you know, he's more peat, because again, a, a blend is layers. Um, but anyways, back to Oran. So we mm -hmm. got together with him and we put together our first blend. Um, it ended up being last minute. As we were up there blending, things changed. And I can get into that. Ended up mm. being two blends, uh, blend number one and blend number two. Nice. Um, and we wanted to go and make a blend that wasn't, if you think about it, uh, whiskey, especially single cask or single barrel whiskey, is we're curating, right? We're going out and we're trying to find great barrels and then bottling it um, without watering it down or, you know, or chill filtering it. Um, hey! That's the name of the podcast! <laughs> he said it! We got him! That's it, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, go on, Carl. Without uh, messing around with it and, you know, putting it in and, and, and giving it for the public, you know. Mm -hmm. Blending side of it is, there's a lot more of art to it. You know, there's there's definitely totally. a lot. We have a lot more control over it. We have a lot more influence in the process. So that's where we wanted to step into to that side. And we kind of said, hey, let's just take a crack at it. And uh, the vision was, though, to not go with the current blends today. Most blends today, and I want to speak for all brands because there are some great brands out there, such as Compass Box, that, you know, have really yeah. started, you know, years ago, way before I even was thinking about getting into the industry, started the mm -hmm. process of making blends no longer a thing looked down upon, but try to make, you know, elevate yeah. what a, you know, a scotch blend is. Um, so we wanted to take that a little step further. Um, Jim's vision for our first blend was that old school style blend, which mm -hmm. is where you get the 50-50-50. So it's 50% yeah. malt. 50% grain, 50% ABV. Um, and this is, you know, the blends that he recalls and he, you know, talks about from, you know, 50 plus years ago or 30 years ago. Um, then th that doesn't really happen today. You know, there's not, that's mm -hmm. not the blends that the various whiskey companies are putting out. So that's what we wanted to accomplish. And we also didn't want to, we wanted the whiskey and the blend to decide what our final bottle count was, what, you know, kind of let it organically and properly, you know, come about itself. A lot of blends, mm -hmm. and I, I still don't want to speak for everyone, but a large amount of blends and, you know, blenders, they'll take five barrels, dump all the, you know, dump all the barrels together or they'll choose barrels. But again, they're using all those barrels and the, the water, you know, obviously, you know, you do have to proof it down. Mm -hmm. um, we went a bit of a different route, which is how, what's the, for, for our vision of this specific blend, what's the best whiskey we can come up with? There are whiskeys in here that we only use three or 4% of the barrel volume in, oh, wow. in that specific bo bo um, bottling. I mean, there's only 450, I think it's 460, or I don't remember the exact count. See, 465, uh, actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, in each. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we have majority, only two casks used for the blends were- That's a good point. Actually entire, in the entire cask. I think we have two, mm -hmm. I always forget that it's eight, nine, 10, 11. I mean, it's somewhere up there. Yeah, um, again, no, I saw it. The reason yeah. why, you know, it's, it's changed, you know, when we, the way the blend process worked was that we, you know, Jim was working in his lab, you know, he had a, the samples from all of our different casks, but then again, things change over a couple months of uh, maturation mm. and things change in the lab. I flew out there. Um, Jim came up to, to our bottling facility uh, that we were using for the blend in Scotland mm -hmm. and we started blending. And the initial plan was to have one blend. Mm -hmm. um, one of the casks that we had, had a turn for the worse. Um, it was actually oh, no. one cherry cask in it. So he ended up trying to redo the blend to, you know, change the ratios a little bit to, you know, compensate for that layer that mm -hmm. was missing. 
And then we ended up, you know, in that moment, you know, this is, you know, a great part of it. We're in a warehouse that had other people's barrels and we said, we need to, you know, a, a specific type of sherry in this whiskey. Oh, wow. And we actually just, you know, bought, we didn't buy the whole cast. We just bought, I think 20 or 30 uh, liters from them. Oh, that's you know, funny. Just, you know, and that was just in the moment. And, you know, that was, and it ended up being though, that his, before we found that other sherry whiskey, he was able to rectify it. And he, we, he came up with blend number one, which was a great blend without that component. And blend number two was bring that sherry back in. So mm -hmm. totally not the plan, but that's just part of the beauty of the way it works. You know, you go in there, you got to just see what happens. And that's, that's what happens. So that's cool. That is to cool. summarize it up, we wanted to bring someone that really knows what they're doing that, you know, and I believe Jim, I mean, he has experience and he, um, you know, I've been blown away by him, you know, my, you know, personal encounters with him um, and putting together, just not limiting ourselves to a, a specific whiskey type or a specific, you know, ratio, again, the ratio came after, after the fact, um, you mm -hmm. know, there's, there's 24 gold Glen Grand there. There's yeah. 30, something old Invergordon in there. Um, you mm -hmm. know, there's, there's some old whiskeys and there's some young whiskey. So we don't want to be limited by anything. The idea was to try to put the best whiskey blend that we possibly can make. And that's what that's we did. Cool. And go ahead. No. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a separate question. So, so, and the one thing that we also wanted to bring in is as an independent bottler, what mm -hmm. we effectively do is we find one-offs. We go around finding a cask, great unique whiskey, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's an Altmore or a Macallan or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. it, when you try it, it's going to taste like that distillery, but yeah. it's it, it's going to be different. That's that that's just the nature of a single cask or a single barrel. Mm -hmm. We want to take that same thing with blends. So each blend, you know, that's why we never blend number one, blend number two, and our future mm -hmm. you know, future ones there won't necessarily be consistency in terms of, you know, they're all going to be one-offs. Um, mm -hmm. But number three is not going to taste, I mean, it may or may not, I mean, who knows? But yeah, it, yeah. It, it, the idea is we have visions, we have ideas, actually blend those together, releasing though, moving on to the next. So the consistency mm -hmm. really for us is quality, not necessarily consistency and flavor sense. profile from mm -hmm. release to release. And that's yeah. you know, what we, we're taking from independent bottling. Yeah, and they won't be that. evolutions on a previous one. They'll all be their own individual things, correct? Correct, exactly. That's cool. So who reached out to who? Did you reach out to Jim or did Jim reach out to you originally? No, we definitely reached out to him. We, well, we've uh, we've been building a relationship with him for some time now. Again, he's been our quality control, for lack of a better word, on our yeah. own. And it took, you know, he has been very hesitant. Obviously, he's, you know, there's always a lot of talk of him taking money for awards. I can, uh -huh. I can tell you right now, he hasn't taken a penny for his awards. You know, the guy's yeah, not yeah. living. Not from Glenn Grant. Grant, <laughs> or you keep it say people say Sazerac, you know, because they were. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, but we built a relationship based off of trust and that, that for cool. him, you know, and, and quality. I mean, he's really, really into his whiskey, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. he puts together a, a book every single year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what he, he would have never considered going public with some, with, with a brand unless he had that control and had that ability, like, you know, he wants to put out good whiskey. It's not about commercializing every component that you possibly can. Yeah. yeah. It's about great whiskey. So that relationship has been building since I think 2020 or 2021. I mean, nice. not that long, but again, for the better part of my whiskey career. Um, mm -hmm. So we actually became close and then that morphed into, Hey, why don't we do this? So we reached out to him. It took some convincing yeah. to do. Really? absolutely because, you know a lot of you know he doesn't get paid you know obviously he gets compensated but he does not his compensation does not is not reflected on how the whiskey sales totally so it, it you know 
and you know, for example, we're not our whiskey's not listed in the whiskey bible this year. Mm-hmm. You know, we took certain steps to try to, you know, we, we want him public facing. Like we, we think it's it's mutually beneficial, but also mm-hmm. to not, you know, impede on him being a whiskey critic. Totally. Right. No, I love that. Yeah, I was just telling Brian before we uh, recorded, looking through some of the notes in my 2015 Whiskey Bible, it was just, it was cool to see, um, you know, the, I enjoy his descriptions of things. Um, You know, I'm looking, I just pulled up a random page and, uh, you know, even just his his notes on certain things, the delivery amazes, even after 30 years of tasting the rare fruits of this distillery, I was taken, still taken aback by the beautifully fragile nature of the fruit, which is first to show. Like, I don't know. He's, he's poetic in a very good whiskey way. And yeah, I figure poetic, you yeah. probably got a solid guy. If It's like, it's like, what a, what's a, a, a Richard Patterson. They call him the nose uh, more so because of his tasting ability rather than his, I mean, they call him that because of his tasting ability and, and nosing ability, uh, of course. Um, but yet he makes whiskey as well. And so I would trust someone like Richard Patterson at Dalmore or, um, but with someone like Jim Murray, I'm like, hey, he's got to know what he's doing after all these years. And especially because sure. he's had experience blending. And from what we've learned, especially in recent episodes, is blending is not easy. Uh, whether it's American whiskey or, or scotch, uh, it doesn't sound like it's uh, like it's as simple as it sounds. Hey, you got a good whiskey here. You got a good whiskey here. Blend them together. You got an even better whiskey. It sounds like that's not really the case usually. <laughs> and um, identifying what component you're missing, too, sounds totally. just difficult yeah so we had a question about uh oran is that uh if you i don't know if you can answer this but um the there's single grain there's single malt in it uh half and half um and uh in terms of volume it sounds and we were wondering if that single grain do is there is it is it all barley uh or is it uh, like typical single grain where it's like got a little bit of maybe corn or rye or wheat in it? Great question. So single grain scotch typically is mm. not bar- not majority barley. It's kind of mm. like a more of a bourbon mash bill. Yeah. Um, back in the day, um, you know, I, I, there's this, I think it was about 20 plus years ago, all single grain was primarily corn. Mm. Um, over there, though, prices flipped. Primarily mm. now it's, it's, it's the 51% plus is going to be wheat today because mm. it's cheaper. And yeah, fairly cheaper whiskey, um, but the corn stuff. You know, the the older single grains, in my opinion, and I would say, you know, Jim definitely agrees on this one. That's far superior um, to mm-hmm. what they're putting out today. So one of the biggest challenges for blends today is finding good single grain because you have to find older single grain. Totally. Um, yeah, and I saw what like 30, 30 year old 34. Uh, or thirty four year old single grain as thirty percent or no twenty percent of the mash bill on number one. Uh, or is it, yeah, number one. And then 21 years single grain was 30% of the mash bill, which is really impressive. Yeah. So given that that is a 34 year singer, single grain, you're saying that's majority corn probably because the price for corn was cheaper back then. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Meaning oh, cool. they, they, they always, single grain was almost always done with corn back in those days. Um, yeah. that only changed re- in the past 20 years when, you know, the prices, I don't know if the prices switched or they decided, Hey, wheat's cheaper. Let's go with wheat. I'm not sure as to the exact history of it, but most of the younger single grains today are going to be made out of, uh, out of wheat. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you did you did say tw- about 20 years ago, and the single grain contributions are 21 and 34. So it mm-hmm. sounds like you were strategically going after corn. Citizens. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, because gotcha. when you think about it, it's it's bourbon made in Scotland. I mean, that's kind of what it yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given we got two samples to drink, you think we should start opening them up? Let's crack them open. What do you say yeah. we drink? What should we drink? Number one fully and then number two fully. That's what I think. So well, they are. Yeah, Go ahead. I guess very, they are similar. So one, well, not they're not just similar; they're very, very similar um, mm-hmm. blend bills. We'll call them. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of what's actually inside of it, so mm-hmm. you know to see that interplay back and forth, I, I always recommend that. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go back and forth. Nice. Um, thanks for sending these samples over. Yeah, thank you very uh, much. They are, uh, we're very appreciative. See, unlike most of our, those are you know hand bottled and hand labeled by me. Nice. <laughs> very cool from the founder <laughs> that's super cool okay. um, I arrange this so i don't forget which one's which here <laughs> yeah i gotta do the same um i for some reason more on move uh asked carl to grab some ice and then i forgot to get ice myself so nice uh, i'll grab that in a moment but first we'll drink it neat uh i say yeah let's get into um to, to batch one Ooh, I like that nose so far. So just to give you a quick one, blend yeah. number one is exclusively ex-bourbon barrel. Okay, um, nice. Blend number two has one sherry component into it. Nice. Gotcha. And so blend number one doesn't have any sherry components, correct? Correct. Cool. Um, first note I'm getting off the nose is just a very bright nose uh it's hard to explain but definitely um pears but not like not like sharp pear flavor i'm getting a lot of pears which can be you know typical of certain scotches um there is a almost like a charcoal fire note to it uh, which you can easily get on some uh, Highland scotches. Yeah, a little bit of smoky. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like not like a not like a smoky smoky, but more like a charcoal smoke, as opposed to like a peat smoke or anything like that. Um, yeah, I like the pear note too. Light light fruit. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not. I mean, it's funny. You know, you say there's no, especially on blood number one. There's no sherry. It is noticeable um that at least when you think of like sherry finished or sherry aged scotches you think of more of a depthy brown sugary sherry berries um those kind of notes i'm not getting like berries or i'm getting a little bit of brown sugar but not in like a you know like what you'd expect of um a sherry aged uh like a sherry butt aged um scotch yeah, every time I sniff a scotch these days, I always think of Richard Patterson saying, I'll kill you. Uh, <laughs> hey, I was actually holding mine with the bottom, so he can't hey. kill me today. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get me. One day he's going to find me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great nose. Um, yeah. A little bit, okay, okay, a little bit of apples as opposed to just pears. Uh, apple juice even um, compared to that. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely in terms of the sherry expectation and i pulled it up here just to refresh my memory only 6.3 percent of the total blend 
on the blend number two is sherry. So it's not like mm -hmm. a, you know, huge component. It's a component and it's definitely noticeable. It's a, it's a layer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This, uh, um, the, it's like a, it's a thicker mouthfeel. Uh, so I went ahead and sipped. I'm definitely, there's a, there's a thicker, um, creamy sweetness that's holding it together. Um, that, uh, and a little bit, of, a little bit of pepper for me too. Uh, like a, a pleasant little bit of pepper. It's, um, it's got some body to it. There's not as much fruit on the palate as I expected with the nose, but, uh, but it is very, um, <laughs> there's substance here. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's kind of thicker. I like it. Yeah. I really like your note, Brian, of peppery. Um, and like a fresh I, cracked pepper. Yeah. yeah. Normally I'm not, um, normally I don't pick up that note, but here I am. And it's a very, yeah, it's very pleasant. Um, and normally I'll get like, if anything, like white pepper um, and like a softer, like a pink peppercorn or something like that, like a softer pepper. But this is definitely like, like black pepper in a really good way. Um, one of the other notes, I, it is a little bit pretty like complex. Like you are getting waves of flavor which I dig. Um, yeah. Fruitiness. If anything, just apples and pears. Um, yeah. I like this and a good proof yeah. too. And I know that, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, perfect fifth y'all are about the music, uh, yeah. musical, uh, notes and, uh, different layers and, like how a first and a fifth uh, would make a nice little chord. Um, I the layers that I'm getting are uh, are like a are like a smoky pepper layer and then a lighter um, pear apple fruit. Those are the two. That's my first and fifth that I'm that are coming together here for me. I like it. <laughs> are you guys a musical family? Is is music yeah. big for you? Guys? Kind of. You know, are we? Uh... We're not musicians, all of us, um, mm -hmm. but definitely musical. Um, that's cool. Some, some of us are, some of us are not, um, but that's really what drove it. And the the similarities between whiskey and music are definitely there. Um, and nice. that's kind of what, what we wanted to tap into. Um, the feeling you get when you hear a great song or the feeling you get when you try a great whiskey, they're kind of similar. And they're both two things that you do, you know, when you're relaxing with family or whatever it may be. Um, enjoyable moments mm -hmm. yeah do you play any instruments let's say no <laughs> <laughs> does that mean you used to and haven't in 15 years never properly i i never put enough effort but i definitely have dabbled in you know music in general mm -hmm. um, Gotcha. I grew up uh super musical uh my mom was a vocal music teacher for like 20 oh, nice. years and uh i've i've played almost every instrument but woodwinds really? could never do woodwinds couldn't do saxophone or anything with a reed like that uh, all it would do is honk couldn't couldn't get anything out of it but uh number one definitely piano i uh i play classical piano i like really? uh, chopin like to play chopin the most Very isn't cool. it chopin <laughs> not to me <laughs> <laughs> um We'll have to talk about that later, Brian. That's pretty cool. Cool. Um, another note I was getting off of the neat pour was on the palate was um, was honey, uh, nice honey note. I, uh, I just too. added a little water. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I went to neat number two, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's what we were doing. I will <laughs> save that one. Ooh, it neat is different. Two. Yeah, it's... Um, Slightly. Yeah. What, like, what, I've, what I've loved, you know, I, I've tried, you know, various people on it, obviously family members, um, um, even, you know, there's a couple bars and stores that I have a relationship with, you know, to actually go out and speak to them. What I love is just the variation in which people prefer one or the, over, over the other, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, I personally actually switch all the time. Every time I, I sit down and, you know, I try them, um, even mid-tasting, you know, you start off blend number one, you go to blend number two, and you're like, I kind of prefer blend number one, but later on, blend number two comes better for me. It, I flip back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Um, and th- that tends to, you know, people split different ways, and it comes down to your palate what you prefer. Yeah. Going back and forth, uh, I'm getting a very clear distinction here. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one being grassy, grassy, grainy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm definitely getting like a like a fresh cut, not grass, but uh, like you're in a you're in a barley field kind of grainy uh, nose. And uh, number two just seems like um, uh, sweeter, like it's more well-rounded with fruit it's too easy to convince myself it's just the sherry i know it's only six or so percent but um it it doesn't have the dry graininess that i was getting on number one keep in mind it's the addition of the sherry component and what else they took away right meaning which whiskey is not in there or which you know how much left a certain cask yeah that was providing that providing what you're referring to is no longer there yeah yeah so it's but it they're different. I mean, they're similar, but they're, they're different. And it's pretty, you know, what I was fascinated by when I try these and, you know, again, the final product, cause it took, you know, I, I was there during the blending. So I was able to, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, be there and be part of the process, but mm-hmm. to actually see the similarities, but really see the differences, even though I see, you know, you see the percentages that they're really, that they're small in terms of the variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see that. What, what, what was your take on that in terms of the, variations between both blends cole did you have any nose notes or anything between the two the more i side by side them i can't even tell the difference to be honest Um, i'm going back at least on the nose on on the nose Ah, there might be the slightest you know we we tried the batch eight of uh found north recently and there was a there was a nice note there and it sounds weird but it was amazing note it was like a sour uh, you know, the Sauternay, like cask really added this beautiful sour uh, note. And I'm getting a tiniest bit. If it, if there is a difference on my palate, I mean, my nose, um, it's the slightest bit on that, like, sherry Sauternay, you know, that kind of like uh, wine, fortified wine kind of finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's slight, if at all. And I might be just telling myself that, so... Yeah, number one uh, to me is definitely uh, like a drier, a little more, a little more tannic almost. Uh, like it's, I'm feeling it, on the, feeling it on the sides of my tongue, kind of corners of my mouth. A uh, little tart and and kind of, I know Bright's a terrible descriptor, but like a bright fruit, grassy, and uh, and number two is more well rounded with with some kind of darker fruit sweetness the sweetness uh, takes away that tartness that i get on number one so (laughs) i prefer the finish of of blend number one uh it is more honey 
Um, this I can tell the difference of. There is a finish on number two that is um, where the alcohol bite comes in a little bit more to me. Um, that I like but don't love as much as blend number one. Uh, so I, that's why I like blend number one on the palate, especially more. Yeah, number two does, I think, come across like if I were to guess which one is higher proof, even though they're the same, I think mm -hmm. I would guess number two is higher proof. Me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it may, it's that, you know, that quote unquote sherry spice that, you know, that mm -hmm. actually comes in there. Are, do you guys, sense. generally speaking, prefer bourbon or single malt? Uh, I typically prefer bourbon. I'm much more of a open to single malt. Uh, I have my favorites for sure. Um, I, I dabble quite a bit in scotch and single malts. And actually we, we, last episode, uh, we had, um, an American single malt, um, uh, master blender on or two episodes from when this one comes out. Uh, we had Mark Vietaller of, uh, uh, what's it called? Whiskey Del Bach. And he does some killer uh, single malts. Uh, some of the best I've ever had in terms of the American spectrum. Uh, but yes, I love scotch. But I think I like bourbon more and like American whiskey more. So what I've seen, you know, we mm -hmm. actually sent Amy some samples. And as you can imagine, Amy's, uh, she's a bourbon girl. Given Totally. Yeah. Sazerac background. Yeah. Um, she preferred blend number one. It nice. has more of that sweeter sweetness where the sherry doesn't it brings in more spice and i think that you know i, I was just asking because i was you know i like to keep in mind what people prefer and you know no. why it is and, and i find that the bourbon drinkers go for blend number one or blend number two mm -hmm. because it has more of that familiarity with the sweetness so did jim prefer number two or did he even give his opinion i don't i don't think i don't i, I definitely asked him i don't uh -huh. I, definitely, I didn't not give a straight answer uh, that's funny. It's it's, it's, no, it's literally asking someone, you know, which kid is your favorite? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. That's literally what you're doing. Yeah. I'm so, really okay. seeing that spice on number two, though. Um, that is what the finish is, is mm. it's that it's that spice. spice. It's almost mm. like a chili pepper spice to me. Mm -hmm. Just the way like a like a mild chili pepper would leave a lingering heat uh, surrounding yeah. your whole mouth. That's kind of what I get with number two. I think I do prefer number two, even though I am a big time bourbon guy too. I, uh, I've hardly ever, I, I'm not sure I've ever had a scotch I didn't like. I do really like scotches, but mm -hmm. uh, what I end up getting for myself at home is usually usually bourbon. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's typically more approachable in terms of price point. Yeah. Sure. It ages for longer, it's more expensive, you know, so it's true. And especially yeah. today, you can find a great bottle of bourbon for $40. You really can. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Wild Turkey 101. <laughs> yeah, <Like a> value king. <laughs> yeah, much harder to do that when it comes to uh, single malt scotch. Yeah. So, does all of your bottling happen in Scotland? All of, all of currently, yes. So, That's single cool. scotch mm -hmm. has to legally be bottled. That's true. Scotland. Didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our bourbon. So we we bought a while back five barrels um, mm -hmm. of Heaven Hill. Although yeah. they will mm -hmm. not say heaven hell. We released our first one last year, an 11 year old. Um, mm -hmm. These were all matured in Scotland. So they That's started cool. off in Kentucky, made their way over. Um, so you have, 
we just bottled and we we released our second of those five and that's a mm-hmm. it's a 14 year old um nice. and again, we're calling it american whiskey um to even be though it's technically like, bourbon mm-hmm. yeah. technically bourbon, we can call it bourbon my i, I had a couple of concerns mm-hmm. um of things that i couldn't verify um mm-hmm. one of those concerns is the abv was high was mm-hmm. was higher and in scotland abv doesn't typically go up um, yeah so out of an abundance of caution i said let me call it american whiskey because i you know i don't want to call something that you know that it's not and you know we we have a pretty good trail back but the problem is you know we have a company that's large and they sold off some barrels they're, they're not they're not getting back to you to tell help you with the uh provenance of that barrel. Mm-hmm. yeah um but we just bottled and released our 14 year old um which was matured and bottled in scotland that's um, cool you know that's under the county gate brand and we call that internally the born and bottled series so born and mm-hmm. matured and bottled in uh, scotland i was just uh, looking on your website uh for that uh in your shop section i'm seeing the 11 year of the the canning gate i'm seeing the 11 year and that 24 but i'm not seeing the 14 is it on there 14's not on the website yet That's oh yeah okay good yeah no, it, oh. it, it'll be on in the next two weeks i would say cool so um 14 year uh it's heaven hill and the its entire aging was in scotland no just started off so legally speaking right actually the first time we got you know TTB approval on our label, they mm-hmm. actually reached out to us with questions. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not the first ones to bottle an American whiskey that was matured in Scotland, but I guess for mm-hmm. whatever reason they decided, you know, someone actually looked at what they were going to approve. Yeah. And they were they couldn't wrap their head around it. But I, I look close at the regulations. Whiskey bourbon does not have to be matured in Kentucky. At best, mm-hmm. it has to be maybe for a day. Um so yeah. virgin oak, by the way. It doesn't even have to be, it can be in virgin oak for one day and it is now yeah. matured for exactly. the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. now. Still bourbon. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> Although I, I have yet to see people that really do that because there's not really mm-hmm. any point in doing that. Um, so they, they definitely had a lot of questions as to, you know, one of the big issues is do we put product of the United States or product of Scotland on this bottle? Mm-hmm. That was definitely, you know, back and forth. And ultimately we That's had to put product of Scotland. Oh, wow. Interesting. From the TTB. From, hey. from the, yeah, from the TTB. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the only way they would let you export it from Scotland or something. Bring it back in. That was, you know, and, and I'm sure <laughs> you know, if we were, you know, we're tiny, so think, you know, no one's really looking at us. But if we were big enough, yes, then we probably wouldn't love it either. You know, on the Scottish mm-hmm, side, they, they don't like non-Scotch. You know, I think even now, well, not I think I have a contact with the SWA that I, I generally like to set our labels or or new types of brands to them. To just mm-hmm. you know, give a quick glance. Like, you got to be on their good side. <laughs> yeah, um, and again, we we don't know what we don't know. So I sent mm-hmm. him over. This was years ago. Our our American whiskey, and uh, maybe should be saying this, but I'll say it anyways. Mm-hmm. I sent him over the uh, the American, you know, eleven year old D, which is a Heaven Hill, but it does not say that on the label. And he mm-hmm. wrote me back. He's like, just want to let you know that it is illegal to mature and bottle non Scotch in Scotland. And uh, just giving you a heads up, you know, he's being very nice about it. So uh, the then, SWA you know, guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, he, he didn't, you know, he was, he was nice about it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't send him a, you know, a new iteration of it, but yeah, <laughs> whatever. It was not somewhere in the UK. I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Brian, if you're not familiar with the SWA and listeners, SWA is the Scotch whiskey association, which is like okay. the over, you know, like the body, of, like where basically like they've 
uh, file lawsuits against American whiskeys that call themselves Highland style uh, whiskeys because they're like, you can't do that. Not according yeah. to like our rules. And it's like, yeah, there's there's Scot- Scotland laws and there's American laws. and But like yeah. they I think they got Virginia uh, Distilling Company to change the name of their Highland style American single malt. Uh, because of those kind, they're pretty strict. Um, Hopefully, they don't come after uh, Del Bach about Ode to Isla. <laughs> that's true. You never know. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> they, the exact same thing. Yeah, right. they have a reputation. They will come. They've gone after brands for just having a name that says the word Glen in it. I mean, the oh wow, oh, yeah, that's right. I've heard that's about that. Crazy. Yeah. They've, they've, imagine, uh, imagine Del Bach having to stop making Odila. Talk about collector's items. <laughs> Seriously, that would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> no, it would not be cool, Cole. <laughs> if someone from their legal team knows about it, they will send a cease and desist. They are that's very, very, very proactive. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we'll cut all that it. out of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Sorry, Mark. No. <laughs> um no i oh, love that um, before we move on from the the candidate stuff uh do you have a price set do you have a uh, yeah, msrp for, for that year? 14 year some we have it set um i want to say retail again because we don't sell retail you know we, have, we do have on our on our website but that's just based on you know what the other everyone else's prices is yeah i want to say 170 something per okay. Bottle. okay nice yeah you know, we try to that's hard too with importing to the u.s after yeah. being exported yeah. from the u.s correct you know we do everything cash you know barrel strength or cash strength mm-hmm. whatever you want to call yeah. it and it's 14 years old what's the what's like. the proof looking like on that one i mean i can look it up for you if you guys like yeah because yeah, a 14 no, yeah, year heaven know. hill juice because like, i am man, that'd be up there. i am super intrigued by that that would make a good mm. podcast episode seriously <laughs> i might have to end up with one of those i'm guessing like 135 for a 14 year heaven hill but it was aged in scotland partially right so, so yeah it, i mean that abv if mm-hmm. it's it was if it was four percent i'm sorry What's that? Could you repeat that 64.4 percent Okay, so I was sixty-four point four. Cool. Okay, sixty-four point four. I imagine it's like an Elijah Craig barrel proof at that point, or better than you. I've actually done a side by side. So Uh what's what's really, you know, obviously when when, you know it was made in Kentucky but matured in Scotland, it's not Mm -hmm. just a marketing gimmick. Believe it or not, I mean Mm -hmm. the the most the biggest thing that has influence on a whiskey is the Mm -hmm. graduation process. Yeah, Um, you know, obviously that's the wood, but the environment itself. In Kentucky, if you have a barrel, I mean, Sazerac will tell you this all day, or any any guys will tell you, the barrels yeah. on top of the rickhouse are going to be vastly different than the barrels on the on the on the ground floor because it gets mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 degrees hotter there. In the U.S. and you know, Kentucky is obviously the majority of it. You have a lot more variation of climate; it gets a lot hotter. Scotland is very very mild, so it doesn't really get that cold and it doesn't get that hot. So it's the analogy I give is you know slow cooking versus putting something straight on the grill mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. cool though about you know starting off in kentucky moving over to scotland you kind of almost like a reverse sear you kind of started off with mm-hmm. that process and then you slow it down for a couple years over there um which mm-hmm. is why you know, a lot of a lot of bourbon if you most bourbon most but a lot of bourbon at 14 year old 14 years old in a barrel in a virgin oak barrel in kentucky that would go you know that would get over oaked very quickly oh yeah you know so that's you know kind of playing with both and it's it, it's unique that's for sure i mean it's 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 bourbon but it's not your typical bourbon 
Mm-hmm. That's cool. And I, I love Heaven Hill in general too. So uh, tasting something like that would be right up my alley. Getting to see, uh, getting to see how it tastes after such a unique process happened to it. That sounds just super fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. The um, I noticed that the in the Canongate the twenty four year is uh, is a Scotch. So the yeah. eleven years in American whiskey, fourteen is mm-hmm. American whiskey. So the twenty four mm-hmm. is a Scotch. What's the story with that twenty four? So. 24-year-olds, that's a regular independent bottling. So that's from a distillery. That Oh, okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that leads me to a, to a even larger question about the whole thing is just what the differences between your different collections are, but maybe (laughs) I'm getting so, so I had myself there. Uh Have you uh, done ice yet, Cole? Where are you at on like tasting? Uh, water. I'm still finishing up the water. water. Okay. I did just finish my water and I'm stuck Mm -hmm. on the, that batch two with that spice. Uh, I really, really like that, that spice on the, on the finish of batch two. So I think that's where I, where I land in terms of favorite. I will go ahead and drop an ice cube though. It is, um, with water actually brought in a lot more like volatility to it. And I mean that in like, uh, the alcohol vapors, um, it, uh, and not in a bad way, uh, but it like, didn't make it like, lighter to me uh flavor or proof it felt more potent um both batches yeah Mm -hmm. it took away the grassiness of batch one for me and it kind of rounded that out um i wasn't getting as much tart i I wasn't getting any of that side of the tongue corners of the cheeks that i mentioned earlier on the Mm -hmm. on the batch one um it kind of rounded all that out and made it more of a smooth honey to me so i have a dilemma I hear my daughter outside the door and she is, uh, she would be like, Oh daddy, let's play. And so if I get the ice, am I, well, let me know what you think of your ice pour, Brian. Yeah. And I can see if it's ice. worth it. That's, uh, he's done. Daddy's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She wouldn't want to see that. Uh, she would, she would have a hard time with that. I'm getting way more smoke on the nose of Ooh. batch one with ice. I didn't drop ice in batch two yet. Cause I didn't want it to just all melt right away. So hold mm-hmm. on, let me start chugging. Let's see. Oh, actually, I do like the ice on back right, one. Let's do this. You might pause the episode for a sec or yeah, something. <laughs> while while Cole is gone, if uh, if we don't pause the episode while Cole is gone, um, okay, he's writing down numbers, so we're definitely pausing the episode. I don't want you to go through a whole spiel and then have to do it again later. <laughs> I'll pause. <laughs> so, do you ever? Um, do you ever put ice in your uh, in your uh, whiskeys to try them out or anything with ice, or are you kind of anti ice, or what do you think? I'm not anti ice. I, I I hate those people that try to tell you how to drink your whiskey and do drink it how you enjoy. It. I personally prefer. I am a purist, but I don't push on everybody else. Whiskey's alcohol, especially whiskey, is about enjoying yourself on your off time and doing it how you like to do it and hanging out. Yeah, if you enjoy ice, sure. go. Yep. You know, but, you know, there, are, there are those people that will, you know, Jim, for example, would get very upset if he was here and you were putting ice in his blood. <laughs> well, don't tell I him hope, I did it. <laughs> I hope you can tell Jim to listen to this or watch this episode because then I'll feel so cool about myself that Jim freaking Murray listens Hates to us. our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. too. He hates you, just, you just may get a you may get like an email with like a couple notes about how to taste the whiskey correctly. You know, he's very Ooh. into it, he's very into something which 
I will say I see, you know, I have noticed a difference. He actually likes to warm up his whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned that from him. You Got know, the bottom. Exactly. Put your hand over the top, he normally says to do. Right. So, so that's how they do, you know, when he's actually in the lab or in the bottling facility blending, he just has a water heater in there. And that, that's to a specific temperature. And he just puts a glass in to make it quick. It's like, it's like but, uh, sous vide. It's like cooking sous vide. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, it, yeah, it's not, it's just like, it's just warm, you know, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in a warehouse, there's not really any HVAC. It gets pretty cool, you know, you get 40, 50. And yeah. you get that ice effect without putting ice in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, you know, he'll send you an email on how to do that. And, uh, you know, I one time went to go visit him with uh, a former colleague and mm-hmm. uh, he had cologne on and Jim was upset. He's like, I can't try whiskey yep. down for a week. He <laughs> says that in his book, do not wear like cologne or beard oil or anything like that. Oh, I remember funny. reading that. That's funny. He's yeah. uh He's he's just he's a stickler, and what's funny mm-hmm. is look, I, you know, I have a decent palate, right? I'm, I'm not gonna, but I guess you know, I guess we'll we'll cut some slack if you have that good of a palate, and your palate and your nose is, is that sensitive when it comes to trying whiskey. Um, then I guess you know, a little perfume or cologne is gonna really you know affect your uh, ability. It kind of is it, 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 that is his living, right? Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Us common folk might just have no idea. <laughs> we'll just so, go for another set. You know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I want to read from the 2015 Whiskey Bible in The Murray Method. I respect this guy, so I don't mean to like you know say anything, but it's funny how different we are. Um, it says in, in number seven of The Murray Method, uh, he says, do, do, don't add water, whatever anyone tells you. It releases aromas, but can mean the whiskey falls below 40%, so it is no longer whiskey. Also, its ability to release flavors and aromas diminish quite quickly. Never add ridiculous whiskey rocks or other supposed tasting aids. Warm and undilu- warming, warm the undiluted whiskey, and he goes on. But hey, to each his own. Even Jim Murray sure. to each his own. But sure, I, sure. I hope you reach out to Jim and be like, hey, have a listen to this YouTube thing or this uh, this podcast thing. And then I'll feel so good about myself that like Jim Murray has heard my voice. That's pretty much why I want you to say it. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to add some ice. Yeah, I wouldn't have had you go get ice if it if I didn't think it was worth it. This like I know you typically probably about 80% of the time we add ice to something and we're just like, yeah, yeah, OK, whatever. But uh, this brought out a lot of a lot of honey sweet for me and uh, and smokiness. So honey sweet, smoky, it, uh, even honey more sweet, than smoky. than neat. Yeah, just give it the old spin J. Set your expectations. Ooh, the nose is incredible. How this might so? be my favorite nose. Just much more bright. The um, the the honey mixed with the apple juice is really showing up. Nice and bright. What did you say? Number oh yeah, one. he's on number one. Um, I just keeps in number light two. Light notes though. of uh, raisins, but not like dark raisins, like like white raisins. Um, yeah, the honey shows up a lot more. There is a much, um, much more obvious mouthfeel to it. More viscous. Um, that honey, like I said. Um, sorry, Jim, but I think you made a good batch for ice. 
And I, we normally don't say that ice is the best pour, but so far I'm loving this ice pour. It's just really refreshing. And it's still got all the great notes of the neat, but just a little more brightened. Yeah, I think uh, batch two didn't change too much. Uh, didn't didn't get worse. It didn't get bitter or anything. Well, actually, maybe it did get a little bit bitter with the ice on batch two. Um, so I don't think uh, I don't think ice did much for batch two there, but it was really cool that it did uh, did so much for batch one. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm not really surprised. Batch it's those small variations that can really just change a whiskey. So yeah, yeah, probably the same reason why he's so against it. If it, if it didn't actually change a whiskey, he wouldn't. You know, he would probably wouldn't be that uh, zealous about it. <laughs> true, true. I think um, blend two. The sherry's noticeable here. Uh, before I was like unsure, maybe a little bit, but I think with the ice pour, it adds a little bit of, um, yeah, just sherry notes. Um, kind of that raisiny, brown sugary. Um, oh, yeah. A little more brown, on the brown sugar for too. sure. Yeah. Mm. All right, Brian. Yeah. Between the two, what's your favorite? Oh, uh, batch two. Um, yeah, I like that spice on batch two. A little bit of go batch one. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. I was just going to rattle on. (laughs) Going to go batch one. I, I appreciate both of them. They're both great, but I like, I don't love the spice from the, uh, sherry barrel as much as I do kind of the, the, like that spice is enjoyable, but I think without it, it's even better. So, yeah, yeah, that's what nice. I that's what I have to say. Number one I, for me. I did tell you guys before we, we tend to have a pretty even split in terms of preference. I think uh-huh. every taste that I've had with multiple people, it's always been a split. That's nice. funny. Mm-hmm. That's good though. That's good it's though because then one batch isn't heralded as like the one nobody likes. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, that's true. It's great, but it, it's also what, what we intended to do after mm-hmm. we chose the blends. You know, we kind of are we release them together you know that and they are similar yeah um, do you guys see more similarities or 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 differences when it comes to these blends uh much more similarities <laughs> oh really no yeah they're very similar to even me split even split yeah. uh-huh i uh my grassy, only thing different yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i got i didn't there were notes on each that i there were more that popped out in my head for me on each Mm -hmm. that I didn't get on the other one. Mm -hmm. And maybe I was just, maybe I was being, uh, maybe I was searching for all those differences. I I mean, I probably was because I like to do AB comparisons. I like to dig and figure out what that one is and this one isn't. So I might've just gone into this with that mindset of like, okay, how are these different rather than Mm -hmm. being a little more objective about it? (laughs) Yeah. No, I think they're, they're extremely similar whiskeys. The only thing I can notice that was different was that slight spicy, um, potentially like slightest amount of bitter um, note on batch two or blend two. Um, Still both great. But yeah, I think they're much more similar than they are different to me. So I I almost get on on blend number one, Mm -hmm. more of that little sweet peat comes in that you mm-hmm. don't think that the sherry masks um the one thing that really came out of these blends which i was really totally i mean we were definitely not you know going about this 
there's a lot of whiskey drinkers um, or people that don't even necessarily love whiskey or, you know, they may be bourbon drinkers don't love scotch. And people like, you know, a word I hear a lot, especially people that don't drink a lot is they like smooth whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so especially, smooth. exactly. You know, so I always, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that I know I'm friends with, you know, that's what they're going for. They're going for a smooth whiskey, an easy whiskey mm-hmm. to drink. So, you know, you would think, you know, on the high whiskey side, it'll be smoother. Mm-hmm. Very much not necessarily the case. Um, yeah. The thing that I that I picked up, and I tried a decent amount of whiskeys, and I, I'm curious if you guys agree. They seem to be a lot more approachable. They're complex. I mean, they have I layers, agree with that. but it's not. They're not overpowering. It's it's a really really good balance. So if you want to get a little bit of peat without getting a full, you know, peat monster, um, yeah, you can you know, or get a little bit of sherry, get a little, you know, you, you can almost. The blend makes it very easy for someone that doesn't have a quote unquote sophisticated palate or someone that hasn't been a whiskey drinker for that long to actually notice a couple of different things. I mean, I personally have a hard time, you know, being able to identify what I'm tasting. You know, mm. you know people talk about a palate, um, et cetera. I think it's more about being able to associate words with what you're tasting than actually being able to taste different things. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I feel that this is a very simple whiskey in a good way. You're able to see the different components as opposed to just a mm-hmm. alcohol rush. I mean, my, I talk about whiskey in my family. My mother does not drink, you know, mm-hmm. at all. And she tried it and she's like, well, I actually, I, I could see why somebody would enjoy this. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not that she enjoys it, but I can see why someone would, would like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the best, you know, that was of all the comments I've ever had about whiskey. That was the best one. For That's that, such a mm-hmm. nice um, mom thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, that's great. Um, <laughs> but that that's my take. And also from a bourbon drinker getting into single malt, especially mm-hmm. that blend number one. And again, I'm not I'm obviously biased and I, I drink but I know I drink plenty of bourbon and, and single malt. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a little bit approachable, you know, compared to a lot of the single malts out there. If you go for, you know, very peaty or smoky, that really turns a lot of bourbon drinkers off. Yeah. Um, but it it has Scottish elements. It is a Scotch whiskey. There's no no doubt about that. But it's an approachable one, and mm. it's not our intention at all. Um, but this is a whiskey that I feel that really caters to both the connoisseur and someone that isn't the biggest whiskey drinker yet, or getting into it, or has a whiskey randomly. You know, um, that's what I felt. It kind of had. It can go both those directions. That was again after I made it, after I tried it. Totally was not the intention because again I didn't blend it. No, I agree. I, I think it is actually, I think that's one of the best compliments it has towards it is extremely approachable and yet complex at the same time. Right. right. You can search uh, for is, more. Yeah. If you know what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. No, I love yeah. it. Back to, uh, um, no, go I was, was going to bug you earlier about uh, just talking about your different collections. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw this signature Canagate uh, and now this Oron that we just tried. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just uh, maybe put some words around what each of the different collections are for your company? Sure. So the perfect fifth is what we started off with. That was the original brand that is still the main brand. Um, you know, unlike a lot of companies, we start off on the very high and top shelf of the space, as opposed to that being just one of our lines. That is who we are. Um, because we try to find and put out the best stuff that we possibly can. Usually that ends up being high end. Um, Canongate was the second, I don't know if you would call it a brand or a brand extension. You know, we haven't, we're, we're all in house. We don't have a massive team. We don't have focus groups deciding what we call things. Mm-hmm. 
Canongate is the name of the street, one of the main streets in Edinburgh that we happened to be staying on when nice. I was, you know, you know, me and my team, you know, while we were there working on a project on the nice. Canongate project, and that's how the name came about. Um, that was more for the whiskeys that don't fit within the portfolio of the Perfect Fifth, so they're not like they're not well known distilleries. It's more of that oddball, more of the odd one outs. We came up with, hey, we want to release these, but it doesn't, you know, we can't, you know, our oak barrels. They're beautiful. I love them. They're very expensive pr to produce. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, those cool. signature bottles, those signature bottles are gorgeous. The, yeah. uh, I love the, 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 the label and everything too. It's just, it's just beautiful. So I think yeah. you're doing a great yeah. job yeah. on them. That label is the bottle. The bottles and the, the thick base, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Cole likes a thick base. I do like a thick base. So I love that. I love I love the base and I love the cork. I love the, you know, all of the Oh bottles. yeah, the wooden thinner, thinner topped, but yet like wide. Yeah. 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 They're really wide wood cork. Yeah. Mm. yeah like, That's I, cool. I when you hold the bottle, you like you want to feel it. You know, want to feel the weight of yeah. it. You want to set around. That's you know, we and you know, all of our all of our packaging, you know, we all came up with it together as a family, you know. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean the you brought up the label on the first bottle. If you can pull it up, I, let me pull up our website to see if you can actually notice it. But that label took me a year to figure out. Oh, wow. Talking about on yeah, the, it's beautiful. So, um, yeah. The Oran number one or what? No, no, or the, the uh, future collection. Yeah. Oh, uh, those are nice. So if you notice, do you see those cuts around the our logo and then yep. on the bottom part? You see those, those, those cuts almost in the label? Yeah. It's almost like a circle around the five. Yeah, and then on the bottom part as well, under whiskey. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, I see them now, yeah. We had to bottle these because, again, whiskey can turn and change in six mm -hmm. months. We had yeah. some really good whiskey that we had to bottle. We, we, I found these bottles that I like. I bottled them. What I didn't know is given the compound curvature of these bottles, it is impossible to put a label on these bottles. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> without it like sense. bubbling in the middle, so you kind had of thing. to put cuts in them. It took me an actual year of trying to figure out how do we get these labels on. First, you know, first nice. try to print out labels, it didn't work. Right, it would bubble everywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then I found a company. Can I? I was, you know, twenty years old. I knew. I still don't. I still don't know much, but I really knew nothing about the industry. Um, and I was trying. You know, I went to label manufacturing in the UK. Mm -hmm. And they said, I sent them the bottle, I sent the label, I said, here's our problem. Can you help us figure this out? They said, yeah, we have some special adhesive. They made the same exact labels. Uh -huh. anything, and spoiler alert, it didn't work. Uh -huh. um, so I got to the point where I was calling up. I'm like, who could possibly have, have a solution to this? Again, I don't, yeah. I'm not an engineer. I don't really understand the issue. I just know there's an uh -huh. issue here. And I thought it was an adhesive issue. So I'm like, who's the biggest in, who was the biggest company in this space? I'm like 3M. 3M. <laughs> I literally called the 3M corporate office and I uh -huh. said, told my problem. I said, do you guys have anything for me? And they were, they put me in touch with a company, which we didn't go with a company that makes, you know, the, the logo of a car, like, a, yeah. you know, like a Toyota or Honda, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Curved metal plate. So yeah. this company makes like these metal plates and they can, they can make it or shape it around the bottle as like a negative. Yeah. yeah. So, which was going to cost us, a tremendous amount per label, uh, <laughs> right? Um, and it, it just didn't look right. It, you know, we mm -hmm. you know 
finally, there was a label design and uh, manufacturing company in Napa Valley that had a good reputation that I found. Uh-huh. I, you know, I was living in Miami at the time. I flew out there um, with my brother Ben. He was he lives in LA, so he flew. You know, we met there. We drove yes. to Napa. We met with them. Told them our, our issue. Well, let me preface before that. I came. I I figured out how to do it. I realized mm-hmm. if I took scissors and I just cut all around it, mm-hmm. almost like a butterfly cut. It yeah. didn't bubble, mm-hmm. but again, it kind of looks, you know, a little bit off if you have just cuts all around. Yeah. I went into this meeting and there was a guy, I believe his name was Mike, older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he, he's retired by now. Um, and he right away said, why don't you hide it? You know, instead of trying to figure out, you know, how to minimize it, make it part of the label. So if you notice the bottom part, we tried to make it like wooden slats. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So we embraced it. And that's the whole background of it being like an oak barrel. If you look kind of in the, the texture in the background, it's it's an oak barrel. That's um, cool. That came about because of these cuts that we had to make so we can get the label onto the bottle and actually release it. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it. clearly you figured it out. You've got several releases with this bottle shape. I mean, you've been doing this a while now with the same label, same yes. bottle. So, yeah. so it's working well, for you. Well, now we're proud of it. Now we're yeah, proud of it. Great story. Great. Yeah. It's a good story too. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, our Oron is a straight bottle, you know. The, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we are not doing that again. <laughs> so out of the signature collection, what's your favorite bottling oh, so far? Great question. Great question. So I see I've a 40 year old Glenn Livet for the record for listeners. There's a two sisters 31 year, uh, a Buna Haven uh 28 year, a 42 year Cambit. It just goes on. These killer single casks so i would say a lot of people love our avalor 30 oh that's what i was about to say uh, which is which is an uh an expert in avalor which is unique at really a, at a, it is unique for avalor yeah um i love that whiskey i will because i really am split between bourbon and scotch and i hate being asked mm-hmm. a question what i prefer because i really enjoy both and it depends on the month you know right now I, you know we're, totally. we have a project in kentucky that that we're working on. So I've been drinking a lot more American whiskey, a lot more bourbon. Mm-hmm. I love canvas. Canvas is a single grade distillery. We, we actually have, we released oh, two cool. barrels at 41 and 42. Cool. And it's kind of like a, it's as if bourbon and single malt scotch had a child. That's what mm-hmm. older nice. single grade whiskey. So my favorite was our canvas, uh, 42 year old nice. part of our initial release. That was, that's probably my favorite to date. Although I'm, um, you know, I, I've tried it, you know, obviously extensively all of our stuff and, uh, yeah. You know. Vintage then, you know. 1976. <laughs> That's insane. So awesome. Before oh, my- man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's uh that project in Kentucky though. Um, can you mention a little more about that? Like what, what's going sure. on? Will that be a future release for the Canongate collection or something? No, we're building a facility there. Ooh. Oh, cool! So, in per- what what part of Kentucky? Smack in the middle between Louisville and Lexington, Central nice. Kentucky. So, like near Frankfurt. Ten minutes outside of Frankfurt, or fifteen Ooh. minutes. Outside. So, when I finally go nice. to Kentucky, I need to put that on my list then for a stop yeah, by. Seriously, <laughs> we're obviously the dream at day one has always been a distillery. Although we're not getting into that yet, mm-hmm. you know, kind of our trajectory. We started off with curated. That's what an independent mm-hmm. bottler is. We now got into blending 
and we're going to expand upon that. So our phase one is we're building a warehouse and a single barrel bottling facility, mm -hmm. um, obviously for our own stuff. But one of the things that we want to do is be able to offer barrel picks nice. from distilleries all around the world. If we Great. can mm -hmm. get you know, tons of barrels in, you can come in instead of going, when you go into a distillery barrel pick, you have what maybe five barrels in front of you. You have to choose one of the, out of those five. You have your standard bottle. They may or may not stick a, a little, you know, another label on top that says, you know, private selection by whatever, by, who, mm -hmm. by whoever. And that's that. We wanted to provide and give, whether it's the stores, individuals, whiskey clubs, et cetera, at a nice. fair price, you know, you can come in, try any whiskey you want, pick a bottle, pick a label, whatever the heck you want, and come and bottle it. That's kind of our vision. Um, to make it your own thing, the the chooser's own bottle, the chooser's own thing. Whatever you guys I love want. that. You come in there and and we also don't want to necessarily, you know, charge an arm and a leg for it. It depends on the whiskey. Um, I came up, I've been working a I put a lot of time into designing a warehouse, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Nice. Are you guys are you do you guys know about the two types of warehouses in uh in the bourbon industry? Yeah, like oh, no. like like uh, masonry and, and wooden. Right. So palletizers, yeah. the on pallets stored vertically. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick houses are like that old school where they roll it in and it's stored yep. horizontally. We did a hybrid. So we, the the downside of a Rick house, it has great airflow. I personally think horizontal is a better way to age whiskey, but airflow is the most important piece to it. Um, the problem is it takes a lot of manpower and a lot of time to move a barrel. I mean, mm -hmm. I, yeah, have you seen the Buffalo Trace warehouses or you know, the Heaven mm -hmm. Hill ones? These yeah, are all barrels and they're they're manually rolled in. Mm -hmm. You know, so these things if you have a barrel 30 barrels deep and you want to pull a sample from that, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So we designed a warehouse where it's all stored horizontally, plenty of really good ventilation and airspace, but each barrel is directly accessible to the aisle from the forklift. We also nice. still have the height that a rickhouse has. Oh, so, cool. you know, so you can come in there and say, I want X, Y, or, you know, this barrel or whatever, we can have that down in five minutes. Yeah. Nice. It sounds like way less overhead in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Overhead. And, but, but again, taking the quality side and also the logistics side, effectively I've had, you know, cause I've always used third-party warehouses, third-party bottling facilities, et cetera. All the things that are, you know, that have, you know, held us back as a company, you know, the time to get to take samples or the ability, you know, single barrel bottles are always complicated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I want to try to do it myself. Um, and all the issues that we had, how do we solve those? And that's kind of what we nice. did together. Um, but the, the, the vision is you come in, whether it's an individual or a whiskey club or a bar yeah. or store, and we'll have a menu effectively of a few, like we have capacity of 20,000 barrels. Not all those will be available. There'll be some of our own stuff, other brands, et cetera. But if you can try, if there's 400 barrels and types, if we're about barrels, 400 or 100 different types of whiskey, whether it's whiskey from Europe or single malts from you know the Northwest or mm -hmm. a GP bourbon, whatever it may be from various ages, and you say, hey, I want to try these 10 whiskeys, we'll bring the barrels down. We're gonna have a beautiful tasting room. No distillery. It's literally just gonna be a facility dedicated to single yeah. barrel bottlings and actually tasting. Um, and yeah, so you come in there and you. Obviously, choose the whiskey, the most important piece, and also choose the, you want a custom label? Let's figure it nice. out. We're going to have an in-house design team. Um, same thing with the glass and cork. And the idea is to really come in there, pick a whiskey that you want to enjoy, and put it in your own thing and make your own brand. It doesn't necessarily have That's to be cool. that you're going to sell it, but it 
it just means that you know you're coming to make your own thing. Yeah, and it doesn't and it doesn't matter who a, you are. You could be a podcast named Chill Filtered yeah. to come in and make your own first Perfect. bottling. Frankfurt ain't that far. Frankfurt's only <laughs> nine hours from me. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would get in my car and drive there right now yeah. if we were going to do this thing. Interesting. <laughs> I, I was speaking with one of the heads, uh, one of the someone actually from the city of Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't recall her exact title, but she had a great statistic, and I don't know if mm-hmm. it's true. So I want to put it out there. She said sixty percent of the of America is within a day's drive of Central Kentucky. Makes oh, sense, wow. yeah. which is a crazy. Again, I mean that's why I guess UPS is based there and et cetera. But true, yeah, yeah. it is very central mm-hmm. for sure. So and wait, then, wait, just to make sure um, for this for this facility and all that stuff, is it is it's on a barrel level, right? Like you know, they choose a barrel. And they say, "I want that." You give them the whole barrel. Is that right? Correct. You're coming to cool, you're coming cool. to buy, you're coming to buy a whole barrel. Although we yeah. will not initially, we probably will have a you know a couple barrels out that you can come and you know bottle your own bottle of that barrel, maybe even do a, a quick blend. Yeah. Um, well, know, for like a, a tour and a bottling kind of thing for individual lot. people. I, I don't know mm-hmm. that we're going to do tours up front. Um, you know, the property itself is 170 acres, so we're going to expand way beyond this. We have plants for distillery nice. um a pot still yeah. distillery nice with a malting facility on site i mean we, cool. we have plants so we want to go whiskey so primarily oh, bourbon but we also are big believers in american single malt and we do Love it. want to go down that road good um, good idea but in kentucky so that's and so hard. when is that supposed to start i was gonna up? say 2020 you are getting a small still if purely cool. experimental, we kind of have to to sell alcohol on premise. We need to have a distillery. Like oh, an distillery. Yeah, so makes sense. Very small still, not open to public, which we are going to have lots of fun on. Nice. Uh, pure experiment. Correct. Um, yeah. The distillery side. I mean, who knows? We have our plans. We have again. We've 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 gone through the motions. It's you know, it all comes down to our ability to get the you know phase one opened up. Um, I would hope in two years. You know, within two years or so. Um, mm-hmm. Our this. The first phase that we're referring to is uh, we hope to be open by Q3 of next year or 2024. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. We hope I mean, to visit. Now I know yeah. when to plan my trip. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. The, so, the exciting part is to have an idea of, hey, let's bottle this barrel and actually be able to go that day and going to bottle mm-hmm. it as opposed to sending out an email to somebody and getting scheduled in three months. And yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's super cool. And I love yeah. that you're doing not just bourbon, you're doing also. And so are you going to be able to do any scotch there too? I wish. Okay, cool. Is that a legal thing? Yeah, correct. Okay. Scotch has to be distilled, matured, and bottled. In and bottled. bottled that's, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if we, in theory, if you brought in the barrels, it would barrels. disqualify it as well. well. So, it's also yeah. legal to take the barrels out unbottled. So it's. Wow. They're. they're you can do nothing SWA, but bottle baby. it in Scotland. <laughs> I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'm sure if you wanted to sneak some barrels out, you probably could. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you're aging out. bourbon in Scotland, and you're already breaking laws. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super cool. So, Carl, yeah, tell us, uh, as we kind of close up, where can our listeners find anything from The Perfect Fifth? So, we just started this month. We just started selling on our... Well, you can buy it on our website. I'm sure nice. you guys all know how, how that process works. Mm-hmm. Um, fulfilled through one of our partners, uh, our retail partners. Um, but you can also find it in 
California, New York, New Jersey are primary distribution nice. locations, but obviously international. So mm-hmm. whether it's you know the KL wines in California, you know, nice. a lot of the big retail, the big whiskey retailers. Yeah. So we're not in Total Wines or Bedmo, but we are in the you know, the, you know, whether it's them or the various guys in New York. Um mm-hmm. you can Google it and you can find it. But we also sell on our website as well now. And that's that's a newer thing, and that's uh something that's taken a lot of my attention on because what you know totally. now you have to, you know, because when you have a whiskey company, when you have a whiskey brand, you're you hyper focus on every small aspect, every letter that goes on the on the on the label, you focus on not have to actually think about, it. even though we're not the ones sending it out, it's under our name. Someone mm-hmm. getting a pack, you know, getting a bottle. So if someone's buying, you know, our Glenlivet 40 year old, which is not yeah. a cheap bottle by any means, that has to, the process has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just started that, and that's uh, also exciting for us. Um, yeah, seriously, very, that's a big step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were very hesitant at first because we felt that we, we didn't want to compete with our retailers and we didn't want to, yeah, uh, you know, we wanted to focus on what we were good at. But when I started getting feedback is if I'm going to buy such, you know, such and such bottle, I want to buy it from the source. I want to feel totally you know, there's, you know, you're buying a car and you want to buy it from the dealership that, you know, or from the, that brand. So that's what kind of came in, but I, I held out for two years. So I was proud of that. Nice. <laughs> No, that's great. So listeners, check it out at uh, theperfectfifth.com. And they have mm-hmm. a shop. Uh, if you see one of their tabs, it's shop. So, uh, Carl, thank you so much. This has been great. I uh, yeah. I look forward to not only uh, if you ever want to come back on, let us know. But also, and if you have any like big releases you want to rep, let us know. But um, I also look forward to seeing this company grow quite a bit. Because I think you have some great ideas. And I think that sure. even this... Uh, location out in kentucky i think this is a great idea so mm-hmm. thank you yeah i mean we, we've i've been working on that for a, the better part of a year now well, that's it's awesome actually, it's actually yeah no it's actually june of last year when i first got into it and we're, we're, we're excited by it and we're excited to the industry is such a mystery to a lot of people you know the process mm-hmm. that's part of totally. why this podcast exists is to show people what it's like, you know, mm-hmm. what is behind the bottle. Yeah. Um, but actually able to really, people love that. People love going in and making your own whiskey or doing your own thing. And it, it really, it, it, it does well. And it, it, it's how, honestly, I think it's, I, the best whiskey I've ever had is a whiskey that I put together and I've produced and I've put my, nice. in, and you know, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. And that's what whiskey is. So for yeah, sure. I love that. Work out, but, uh, we're excited. I'm, I'm very excited by that. That's awesome. No, well, I, uh, I I agree. I think it's it's like it's great stuff, and and uh, surprisingly, seems like very simple ideas that you're putting out, but surprisingly revolutionary at the same time. So right, yeah. revolutionary is a big word, but uh, uh-huh. especially yeah, in a long thing. industry such as distillery. This industry has been around for a very long time. Yeah, um, at least a thousand yeah. years. Yeah, correct. You know, minus like you know what is it? You know, in the uh, earlier earlier part of the 20th century, we don't like to talk about, but. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we we get rid of that part. Yeah, <laughs> well, definitely not uh, revolutionary, but try to do a little a different thing here and there. You know, it's also it's also kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm glad you're having a good time too. I think that makes it all worth it. So, um, well, basically, I think we'll close out here. But I, I hope our listeners can check out theperfectfifth.com and check out what they're putting out. There are some. I mean, basically. If, if especially if you're a scotch uh enjoyer 
this is this is an independent bottling kind of thing that like is up there. I mean, with some of these bottles I'm seeing, like up there with Mossburn, you know, heck, up there with like Alexander Murray, and uh, up there with uh, some of the bigger ones that have been around for a while. So far as I'm seeing, this is good stuff, and especially the single cast stuff. Try out the Oron um, if you can. Uh, you can find it on their website. I think I believe it's about 190 bucks for a, a bottle of that. Uh, but really cool stuff they're putting out, and I hope our listeners will uh, check them out. Yeah, and I hope that I can get my hands on that. Can uh, <laughs> you get my hands on that Heaven Hill 14-year partially aged uh, in Scotland that's coming out in a couple of weeks? That sounds good. I, I hope I can get my hands on an Avalor 30-year uh, single mom. So, <laughs> but, but most yeah. of all listeners, uh, I hope that our love of whiskey lifted your spirits. Sweet. Now there's a there's a slushy and then there's an icy and then there's a slurf. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. But anyway, so all right, I'm gonna start things up.